All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After the Final Whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM Elon Burlington, or if you're listening after the fact on podcast.com, it is your host, Brad Clear, back at it here at just before 6 p.m. on a Thursday. Be taking you um, for about the next hour or so here on After the Final Whistle, one week out from the NFL draft. That is going to be the sole focus of this show today. Not necessarily a mock draft or a big board or whatever, but sort of my sort of musings and opinions and takes on the top four quarterbacks, projections on where they could go, projections on trades, um, who certain teams will select, top prospects I'm interested in. This sounds an awful lot like a mock draft and a big board, but again, there's not going to be any sort of rhyme or reason to it. It'll just be kind of bouncing around to things I think that are worth discussing. Um... You know, we'll get into guys I think could slip or fall a little bit. Guy or trades I think will be more open to being, or picks I'll be more open to being dealt and whatnot. Um, where certain prospects would be good fits, etc. So, um, yeah, let's just get right into it. Draft time for me for the NFL. It's probably the time of the year where I care about the NFL the most. You know, I watch football, love it. It's fantastic. But for me, my primary enjoyment coming out of the NFL season is fantasy football. NFL draft, though, ever since I was, oh, since I was a little kid, I've been super, super into it. Um, I remember playing spring baseball when I was younger, and every year on the draft, I would always have a game. would always hope it would get rained out or postponed so I could be home to watch the draft every year. Um, that whole mock draft craze that starts in January and reports of workouts and intel on players that teams are interested in, ever since when it starts in January every year, every year for me, probably for the last Oh, man, it's got to be probably 10 years, 11 years at this point I have been super into. Uh, big draft memories for me. I remember the year is 2010. Um, a New York Giants fan, I remember they had the 15th pick, and they really needed a middle linebacker, and I was super gung-ho on getting them getting Rolando McClain. He went 10th overall. They ended up with Jason Pierre-Paul. Obviously, they got the better end of that. I remember um, the year where Julio Jones was – where the Browns had the sixth overall pick and traded it to Atlanta for the bevy of picks, and they end up selecting Julio Jones. I remember I had a baseball game that day, but it was raining, so I was excited that it was going to get postponed or whatnot. It didn't. We played in the rain. I was really upset, and I missed the first probably eight picks of the draft. It was not fun. But enough about me. Let's get right into this year's draft. And when we talk about this year's draft, there is no bigger or greater storyline or point of discussion than the top four quarterbacks in this year's draft. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen. For me, I'm just going to get into what I think of all four potential landing spots, teams that will be interested in them, etc. First, for me, my f- ranking of the four. My number one of these four is Josh Rosen. My number two is Baker Mayfield. Sam Darnold, my number three and Josh Allen, my number four. So let's let's start with Sam Darnold, because even though I have him at number three, and I'll get into why, he has been, for quite some time, lauded to be the first overall pick or the eventual first overall pick. He's a guy who, even when he played at USC this past year and the year before that, probably for the last year or so, he's been hailed as the guy being the first overall pick. And if we're really being honest here, he's very likely to be the first overall pick. I know that there's been musings about the Browns 
being interested in potentially selecting Josh Allen and that they're deciding between the two. But I'd be very surprised if this pick is not Sam Darnold. But let's get back into Sam Darnold, the prospect. Looking at him on the surface, he has one huge flaw, but outside of that, seems to be the total package. He's only 20 years old, has a refined skill set at this age, and is only going to improve. Taking a guy who is pretty well-rounded, super young, has a lot of ability already, and banking on him progressing and becoming better, it's a surefire bet. He has the capability in the pocket. He has a little bit of mobility. He makes his reads and progressions well. He's got an accurate arm. He's got arm strength. He's got good size. He really, on a basic level of what you look for in a quarterback prospect, checks all of the boxes. And you add his age on top of that, slam dunk. But there's one thing for me that concerns me with Sam Darnold. And for a lot of people who don't watch the film or didn't watch him play the majority of the last two seasons and only watched him in the Rose Bowl this past year, they'll say the same thing. And that's his turnover issue. Sam Darnold has an issue with turning the ball over. Last year, he threw 13 interceptions. He had a fumbling problem as well. The year before that, he threw nine interceptions. Of course, I would be remiss to not uh, not mention that he threw 31 touchdowns two years ago and 26 this past year. Again, fantastic. But if you have a turnover issue in college against defensive backs, secondaries, defensive schemes that featured players of a significantly lower level than an NFL defense would, if that problem has been there for the past two years, which it has, whether it be fumbles, whether it be interceptions, that's something that compared to other flaws that players may have, that's something that's hard to shake. Maybe you can point to him being super young and that in time, it'll improve. Perhaps it will, and there's a good chance it can. But for me, if I'm sitting there looking for my franchise quarterback and I see that this this prospect has significant problems with turning the ball over, that's something that's a red flag to me. That's a little scary. If you have a turnover problem in college, as I just mentioned, I don't really see the ability for that to change significantly in the NFL. Facing, Especially if you were selected by the Browns, he would not be playing the first year because they have Tyrod Taylor, as we know. But in the hypothetical event that Josh Allen goes first, which I don't think will happen, but let's talk a hypothetical here. Josh Allen went first, the Giants would probably take Sam Darnold. Eli Manning, he's going to be there for a year too. But you look at the second year, him sitting for a year. Is him sitting for a year going to allow him to understand defenses at a greater level and be able to combat his turnover problem after not playing for a whole year and playing against greater defensive talent than he ever has before? I don't know. And maybe you look at Sam Darnold and you say that this turnover problem is something you want to quell within three or four or five years. And if that's your plan, then fine. That's okay. But I don't necessarily see it as something that's shakable. I see it as something that's only going to be exacerbated by the defenses he is playing against. 
And now, I'm not saying that's going to derail him entirely as a pro prospect. You know, again, as I mentioned, makes good reads and progressions. He's accurate. He's got a good arm. But, and he's got great size as well. And he's going to throw a ton of touchdown passes, as he has done with USC the last two years. The interceptions are going to be a big problem. And if you want to have a guy who you can safely assume and put in the position of being your franchise guy for the long term moving forward, you don't want to have a red flag in an interception category or fumble category, which Darnold has, because that is a significant detriment to them being able to fully develop and grow. If that uh, turnover problem doesn't go away, then we're looking at a guy for as great as he is as a total package is always going to be plagued by not being able to keep the ball on his uh, on his, within within his uh, offense, and in that case, that could potentially hamper your team in significant situations for a very long time. So for me, I don't think he's going to shake that, and if he does, it won't be to a significant level. So I'm not crazy about Sam Darnold. Again, I see why everyone else is, and I totally understand it because other than turnovers, he has every single tool you could possibly want. Good football IQ, and he's got all the physical tools, and he's got the actual football intangibles as well, unlike another prospect who I'm going to get into next. As far as him in the draft, as I mentioned, the Browns are down to him and Allen as far as who they're going to decide to pick. At this point, based on what I've been seeing, based on what everyone's been reporting, I would be very surprised if Sam Darnold is not the first overall pick in the draft by the Cleveland Browns next Thursday. I would be very surprised. I just cannot see Josh Allen being selected first overall, especially over Sam Darnold, and for the reasons that I'm going to get into when I discuss Josh Allen next. There's been a lot said about how John Dorsey loves the big, powerful arm uh, prospect. You know, he did trade up and select Patrick Mahomes uh, in last year's draft. But that's not going to get in the way of selecting a guy who's a better prospect. Now, I think there are two prospects who are better than him, but... In the eyes of the Cleveland Browns, those two guys, Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen, are not in consideration. So I think Darnold's likely landing spot is one to Cleveland, and his floor is two to the Giants. We looked at we look at the New York Giants, and that's to me one of the most interesting and probably actually no to me it is the most interesting uh, pick in the draft as far as what it could do, setting the tone for the rest of the draft and what direction they go in. But if Sam Darnold is there after the first overall pick and available to be selected number two. They're picking him, no question about it. Getting back into the Giants there, I started on a little bit. I'll go into that more in depth. Um, Looking at the New York Giants, the New York Giants at number two is the most interesting pick in this draft because you look at the Giants at two, you can see option one, pick a quarterback. Option two, Saquon Barkley. Option three, Bradley Chubb. Option four, Quentin Nelson. Option five, trade down. Every single one of those options at least on paper, you would see as being feasible and realistic. Now, as we have seen with reports, and as we saw today with Dave Gettleman's press conference, it does not seem that they're gung-ho on selecting a quarterback. And I've gotten into this on this show before. The New York Giants should use that second overall pick to capitalize on the anomaly and gift of the bad year they had with Eli Manning being 38 years old and probably done after this year as a franchise-starting quarterback. This is the perfect chance to get your successor to Manning, someone who can seamlessly slide in to their very talented roster, 
seamless transition. You won't have to give up significant draft capital in a year or two to select your franchise quarterback, which is what's going to happen if they don't pa- if they pass on one now. But based on reports of them liking Barkley, potentially being interested in trading down, being interested in Chubb, it does not seem that they're gung ho on picking a quarterback. Dave Gettleman had his pro- has pre-draft press conference today, and he was talking about how the devaluation of the running back is a myth. It's not. It's completely true, and there's basis for it. And also talked about how selecting the wrong quarterback can set back your franchise for five years. That's true. But you can also argue that not selecting a quarterback when it is time to can set your franchise back for five years. Let's look at the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos have a fantastic roster. Put a top-notch quarterback in there, they're winning their division every year. Ever since Peyton Manning's been gone, Paxton Lynch has not panned out. Trevor Simeon did not pan out. It's been a revolving door, and as such, the team has suffered because of it. When Eli Manning is done after this year, or the next year, or whenever it is, and this is the situation that the Dallas Cowboys would have faced if they did not get lucky with getting a franchise quarterback and Dak Prescott in the third round uh, two years ago, if you don't have a franchise quarterback when, you, when Eli Manning's gone, and you're relying on... Davis Webb, who's an unproven commodity or a backup quality player, that's going to significantly take down the level of your team, especially with the talent that's around it. If you get that quarterback now, once Manning's done, boom, slide that quarterback in, everything keeps going. You don't get the quarterback now, in two years from now, let's say you're the 20th best team, you're around 20 with your pick, and you have to trade multiple firsts and a lot of seconds, or you have to trade, no, let's go off the basis of what the Goff and Wentz trades were. You don't have to trade a future first, a second, a third, a future second, or a third, that's a lot of assets that you need to replenish your team and to give cheap, young, talented options and depth on your team to give away for a quarterback when you could have just selected the quarterback when you had the chance of second overall pick without giving up any assets. Unfortunately, I don't see that being the case. For the Giants at this pick, I don't think they're picking a quarterback. As far as the devaluation of a running back, look, Saquon Barkley is the number one player on my board. He's the most talented prospect in this draft. He can do everything you want as a running back. He can catch the ball as well. He's fast. He's explosive. He's powerful. He's agile. He's the total package. But the NFL does not place a premium on the running back position anymore. NFL teams are not inclined to pay significant money to pay significant money to running backs for their second contract. Look at the two teams who were in the Super Bowl this past year. New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles both had basically committee running backs. You, know, you look at New England, James White, Rex Burkhead, Dion Lewis. Look at the Eagles, LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Ajayi, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood. The quarterback position is what gets you to the Super Bowl and wins you championships. You need a franchise-level quarterback, or in the case of the Eagles, getting lucky with a backup playing out of his mind, which does not happen, you can't bank on, You need a franchise quarterback to win a championship. That's why, even if you think Eli Manning has a year or two left in the tank, you have to get the quarterback now. Alas, that's not going to happen, so I'm going to stop dwelling on it. I don't think you pick Quentin Nelson as great of a prospect he is. I think he's number two on my board. You don't pick him at the second overall pick when you have the opportunity to select a quarterback, which... Again, as I mentioned, they probably won't. A top-notch skill player and a running back in Barkley, a top-notch edge rusher in Chubb, 
or have the ability to trade down for a massive haul of picks from a team like Buffalo, Arizona, or Miami. So I take Quentin Nelson out of the situation, and for this scenario, I'm going to take Bradley Chubb out of the situation, because if they're going to stay at number two and not pick a quarterback, they're going to pick Saquon Barkley. And the way that Gettleman had sort of described it in this presser was that he said that his mother could have scouted Saquon Barkley. He said that Saquon Barkley is a highly talented, very capable player. We've seen reports in the last couple days about a lot of sources, a lot of reporters saying that the Giants within the building, people with the Giants love Saquon Barkley. And basically from what Gettleman said in his press conference, he's going to do what the old guard football mind thinks. And why take a risky quarterback when there's a perfectly good running back there? Again, Saquon Barkley is going to be an all-pro quality, all-pro caliber running back. But is that what's going to win you a championship in two years when Eli Manning is not there anymore? I don't know. I don't think so. So at number two, the most interesting pick there, I think they go Saquon Barkley. If we're looking at a trade down, which is still possible, the Buffalo Bills sitting at number 11, or excuse me, number 12, they have 22 as well. They picked up pick 65 from Cleveland. They have two seconds as well. The only quarterback, they have two, okay, they may as well have only have one with the second guy I'm going to mention, but the Buffalo Bills quarterbacks are A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman, who threw five interceptions in a game. That is atrocious. Brandon Bean, the quarter or the general manager, has put them in a position with trading up from 21 to 12, kind of like what the Eagles did the year they traded up for Wentz when they moved up from 11 to 8. They're in a position to trade up a ton of assets to get a quarterback. Every indication is that they are going to do that. The question is, which pick will it be? The Giants at two could very well be that team. If But if the Giants want to stay and select Saquon Barkley, that eliminates them. We look at number three with the Jets. The Jets is going to be a lock for a quarterback, and it's a lock for Baker Mayfield. The Jets had Woody Johnson, their owner, at the meeting that they had with Baker Mayfield. All indications and reports from those who have been following Baker Mayfield's um, workouts and meetings and whatever, they all say the Jets are locked in on Baker Mayfield, and I believe it. I really do. And I'll get into Baker Mayfield as one of my other quarterbacks as well when I discuss him. The Jets are going to go Baker Mayfield at three. He's going to be there at three. He's the Jets guy. That's going to be him at three. So we look at four, the Cleveland Browns. They would have an enticing option there in that there's still two of those top four quarterbacks on the board in Josh Allen and Josh Rosen. There's also a skilled edge rusher in Bradley Chubb. To me, even though I see the merit in taking Bradley Chubb and putting him on the opposite side of the defensive line from Miles Garrett, the beastly, fantastic pass rusher, edge rusher you drafted first overall last year. I see that. But if the Buffalo Bills are sitting there at number 12 and they have a preference of Josh Allen or Josh Rosen and they want to ensure that they get in front of Denver at five because Denver at five is, you know, very inclined to trade that pick or could potentially be interested in a quarterback prospect like Josh Allen because John Elway loves the project potential rich quarterback just ask Paxton Lynch who hasn't done anything yet maybe the Cleveland Browns for in the Buffalo Bills' mind that is the spot to trade up to because if you wait till five maybe Miami or Arizona slides in there 
they take Allen or Rosen, and if you had a preference of the two, maybe that player is gone. So for me, I look at number four. That's either going to be Chubb or a trade down. I think at number four, in the event that Darnold goes one, Barkley two, and Mayfield three, that is a perfect spot for Buffalo to do their big trade up to get themselves Allen or Rosen. And for the Browns, getting themselves 12-22 and probably a second out of that this year and probably a third out of it next year, you got to do that. That's a great trade as far as draft capital is concerned. And then at number five, we have Denver, who I look at. I could see them picking Josh Allen. I could see them picking Denzel Ward to replace the keep to leave they just traded. I could see them picking Quentin Nelson because they need a left guard. But I think that if Josh Allen or Josh Rosen is available at five, in the event that Cleveland picks Chubb at four, they could make that a bidding war between Buffalo, Miami, and Arizona to trade it for five to get their to get the desired of the two remaining quarterbacks. Or if Buffalo trades up to four, gets their guy, number five, Arizona or Miami really wants to get up there to get Rosen, Denver can basically turn into a bidding war between those two. So they have options there. This is getting too much into a mock draft, so I'll just go with the Colts and I'll get back to my quarterbacks. Um, the Colts at six also interests me because in the event that Bradley Chubb is available at six, it's obvious that they would pick him. But again, in the situation I just outlined, let's say Cleveland takes Chubb at four. He's not there at six. That would mean that Rosen or Allen is going to be available at six. So that would seem to be a prime trade down spot in the event that Chubb goes four. Chris Ballard, the GM, he already traded down from three to six with the Jets for three second round picks. A lot of holes on that roster. He could potentially trade down again. If Chubb's there at six, they're staying. They've been linked to a ton of they've been linked to having a ton of interest in Raquan Smith, the linebacker from Georgia, who is the number three player on my board. An absolute beast of a middle linebacker, can get deep into the backfield, can rush. Um, if he's on a blitz, he can get in there at the quarterback. He can cover the field east to west. He makes big plays. We saw how good he was in the college football playoff. Total package as an inside linebacker. I can see him working fine in a 3-4 or a 4-3. And absolutely, this is the, he's a stud prototype middle linebacker prospect. His range for me, probably looking at 6 with Indianapolis. Lowest is the Raiders at 10. San Francisco at 9 could be very interesting in him as well. He's not getting past Oakland, though. But the Colts at 6, Bradley Chubb would be their guy. You know, if Quentin Nelson's there, maybe they want to go Quentin Nelson because that O-line is really not that good. Maybe they go Raquan Smith because they really want that linebacker prospect. Maybe they trade down. A bunch of options for the Colts there at 6. All right, going back to the quarterbacks, got a little sidetracked there. I had mentioned Sam Darnold. Let's get into Josh Allen. Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. Where do I begin? All right, here we go. So, let's just start off with the simple fact that everyone basically knows and is aware of but doesn't want to go out and directly state. You look at these four quarterbacks, Josh Allen is is just the prime bust candidate of all these quarterbacks. I can see, and it's very easy to see, why teams or evaluators, or coaches, or whoever, have interest in Josh Allen. He's got all of the sexy, attractive tools that you could want. He's got all the physical tools. He's really big, he's athletic and mobile, and he's got a monster, powerful arm. On the surface, those are incredibly attractive tools. How could you not want a quarterback who can do those things? 
right? He's 6'5". He can scramble. He can run for a touchdown. He can throw the ball sitting on his knees 75 yards. Holy crap. And then you do digger, or you do deeper digging. I was about to say digger deeping. Oof. Deeper digging. Josh Allen is not an accurate passer. He does not have a strong football IQ. Well, okay, he did go on the Wonderlick test, but within sort of within processing things within a game, he is very poor at that. That's what we'll go with. Extreme accuracy issues. Does not process in for, does not process what's happening in front of him quickly. Cannot handle a blitz well. Does not make good reads and progressions. Is not this is the prevailing thing here. He is not an accurate passer. It's good and all if he can make those crazy powerful down the field throws. If he can't make the short, tight window throws, which are more important for a quarterback, how are you getting the chance to make those big throws on a consistent offensive drive? We look at him as far as his completion percentage and how often he's a guy you can rely on to get the ball to his first option or whoever it may be. Let's look at Josh Allen's completion percentages from his year in high school in 2011 up until his two years in JUCO and then his two years at Wyoming. 59.5%, 50%, 57%, 49%, 56%, 56.3%. You want to adjust it for whatever other metrics, we're looking at about a 59%. Look at him against Power 5 schools, the best teams that he played against. Since he played at Wyoming, he did not face high-level competition. Played Nebraska, played Oregon, and played Iowa. Lost all three games. He was 48 for 96 of 427 passing yards combined in three games. Only one touchdown, eight interceptions. This is a combined three-game total. That's a 74.13 QB rating for a college quarterback, which is the NFL equivalent of a 31.03. That is horrific. We look at him against the Blitz. 125 dropbacks, and that he's been blitzed on in college in the past two years. He has a QB rating of 73.4. The college average for a QB rating when they're being blitzed is 90.8. And let's compare him to the other three top quarterback prospects. Sam Darnold, 106.3. Josh Rosen, 108.8. And Baker Mayfield, 133, or excuse me, 139.9. Again, I understand why people go crazy when they see all the physical tools he has. Players, or excuse me, coaches and personnel think, oh man, we could keep these tools and mold this guy into a solid quarterback. He could be Ben Roethlisberger. And that's great and all. But you can't let those physical tools blind you to that extent. This guy has glaring, overwhelming accuracy issues. He has no ability to pick up a blitz. He cannot process things quickly. He does not feel the flow of the game. He cannot play against top-notch defensive talent. He went to University of Wyoming. In the few games where he played top-notch schools, Iowa, Nebraska, um, and who was the third team in Oregon, he was horrific. One touchdown combined in three games against these top-notch teams. He has never shown in the history of his football career at a high level the ability to complete a large percentage of his passes or to be accurate. When you watch the tape, you know, the first thing you'll see is where the play where they're playing 
Oh, man, I don't remember they were playing, but he rolls out to his right. He's on the run. He launches a 60-foot bomb across his body wide up to a guy in the end zone with a tight window for a touchdown. Or not a tight window, it's over the shoulder. You know, you look at that, you're like, wow, oh my goodness. And then you watch another tape where he's getting blitzed, he bounces off of his first option, gets overwhelmed, gets sacked, and fumbles. Let's say you're the Cleveland Browns here, right? You really trust yourself with the stats are for losers quarterback whisperer who's really not a quarterback whisperer, Hugh Jackson, who couldn't handle the growing pains of Deshaun Kaiser to be able to develop a lesser developed prospect in Josh Allen, albeit with significantly higher upside, but you really trust him to be able to develop that prospect? Come on. Josh Allen's got to sit for at least two years. And even then, how can we even bank on him having developed the ability to process things and to be able to pick up blitzes and to make better progressions and reads? There's no guarantee of that. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you cannot pick him number one overall. I understand why John Dorsey has interest in him, and we've seen from guys with big hands and big arms and physical tools he's picked in the past that maybe that would be a guy who's of interest to him. If they pick Josh Allen number one overall, that is a waste and a throwing away of the incredible work that Sashi Brown did with the Browns rebuild in the last couple of seasons. Throw it all away for few attractive physical tools that really don't pan out when the guy is not a good overall quarterback prospect. Looking at, I don't think the Giants will take him, I just said. The Jets won't. So we're looking at teams like Buffalo, Denver, Arizona, Miami. I guess Denver would be the best situation because you have Case Keenum for two years and you can sit down for the duration of that contract. I don't. I really never see him ever being able to put it together or being a com- competent NFL quarterback. But just spitballing, if you had to pick a situation that's most attractive, I guess it's Denver. You're putting him on Buffalo. He's going to have to start potentially during the season when A.J. McCarron inevitably isn't that good or Nathan Peterman is inevitably not that good either, and he's going to be atrocious. He's going to be terrible. Josh Allen is going to be a bust. He's going to never become a competent starting-level NFL quarterback, and the evaluators and coaches and personnel who are enamored with him are blinded by few sexy attributes and a myriad of reasons to not draft him. You know, like look at, look at how Lamar Jackson is discussed as a quarterback prospect, and Josh Allen. Any little flaw in Lamar Jackson is talked about at, no- at nauseatum, at nauseam, excuse me, and is talked about and emphasized again and again and again. Josh Allen gets excuse after excuse after excuse because teams are crazy about the power arm, the mobility, and the athleticism, whereas Lamar Jackson, they see him as the typical college athletic, not really a good quarterback quarterback. It's clear as day that Josh Allen is not a good quarterback prospect. And to take him over any of the other quarterback prospects would be criminal. These other three quarterback prospects, even though I am scared by Sam Darnold's turnover problems, are pretty are very solid quarterback prospects. Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield, who I'll get into next, those two guys are going to be studs. Sam Darnold, maybe if he can uh, fix his turnover issues, could be. Josh Allen does not have that. I'm sorry. 
We're blinded by seeing him as Ben Roethlisberger on our team because we've seen some of his crazy highlight tapes. That's that's on you. At this point, if you still believe he can be a competent NFL quarterback with these completion issues, these accuracy issues, etc., I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah. Josh Allen, obviously my lowest of those four quarterbacks on my big board. Um, And it's really, you know, I may even put him below Lamar. I would put him below Lamar Jackson, too. Just based on the upside, he's got to be above everyone else. But man, this guy's all upside and nothing else and just screams bust. Picking him ahead of someone like a Denzel Ward or a Quentin Nelson or a Quan Smith in four years from now is going to be looked at and someone is going to realize, almost like what Jake Locker was when the Titans picked him eighth overall, what in the world was everyone thinking? Enough with Josh Allen, though. We got to go on to our top two quarterback prospects. In my mind, the two guys who are going to be absolute beasts in the NFL, and that is Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen. Let's get into Baker Mayfield. You know, yeah, let's get into Baker Mayfield first. Baker Mayfield is going to be a stud. There is no reason that Baker Mayfield cannot be what Russell Wilson is. The complaints against Baker Mayfield, he's short. Great. Everyone said that about Russell Wilson when he came out. Everyone said that about Drew Brees when he came out. Everyone says that about any quarterback prospect who they don't want to talk up, who is not 6'4", 6'5". You know, majority of the time, it's not an issue whatsoever. Wasn't an issue for him in college when he was killing it. It's not an issue for Russell Wilson when he, well, they should have won the Super Bowl if they ran the ball with Marshawn Lynch, or the year before that when they actually won the Super Bowl. Not an issue for Drew Brees being a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. The idea that he is a distraction and his bad presence and, you know, this guy who's crazy and all this. He got arrested for one DUI once. Look, I know you don't want to have any situation like that where a prospect has a criminal record or whatever. But one criminal record from just having a drunken night and that that's going to be our deciding factor that Baker Mayfield is a problem. Come on. Whether his personality is uncontrollable. Come on. Baker Mayfield is in. He's a, he's a true leader. He plays with his heart on his sleep, and he's just not a distraction. He has a personality, and he plays with passion. And I'll get into more in this with Josh Rosen. But people want these guys to be robots, and if they have any semblance of a personality, they're crapped on. Look at him as a football player. Baker Mayfield is an incredibly accurate passer. Fits the ball in the tight windows. Can hit guys short. Can hit guys deep. Makes great reads and progressions off of his options. Very good at assessing a defense. Incredibly mobile and a great, great running quarterback. We're looking at him, a pro football focus, who is the go-to, in my mind, statistical um, location to look at for these quarterbacks. It really takes a lot of the context that surrounds their basic stats and it puts them into more intricate understandings. Adjusted completion percentage among all the quarterbacks in this draft, first, Deep pass passer rating, passer rating second. Passer rating under pressure first. Passer rating when kept clean first. Passer rating, passer rating on play action first. Second in passer rating on non-play action on throws in less than two and a half seconds. And is first in passes on throws in greater than 2.5 seconds. He is the highest overall QB rating of any quarterback since pro football focus was established within the last six years. 
He's an electric passer. He's an electric player at making plays and creating with his legs. He can do incredible with a read option. He can hit you deep. He can scamper around, make you hard to sack him, and then he's going to hit a guy with a real tight window 15 feet down the field, or 15 yards down the field. His teammates love him. He plays with passion and heart and vibrancy, and you want to compete with a guy like this. He's a guy who your fans are going to latch on to. He's a guy who's going to give you all that he has. And I can say these things, and it may sound like I'm covering for him not being that great of a quarterback. Or some people may say that, say these things, and that's how it's interpreted. But this guy has a 95 out of 100 scouting grade. This guy was incredible in the college football playoff and was incredible his entire college career. He won a Heisman, right? Like Baker Mayfield won the Heisman. And again, I know we're looking at Heisman Trophy winners, you know, guys like Troy Smith or whoever that didn't pan out in the NFL. Baker Mayfield has shown every indication that he is an NFL quarterback. And because people don't like that he's not a robotic player with no personality or don't like that he had one arrest or don't like that he is shorter, they're going to write him off entirely as a prospect when this guy is everything you could possibly want in a franchise quarterback prospect. Leadership, passing ability, mobility, personality is the total package. Sure, you'd like him to be 6'3 or 6'4 in an ideal scenario, but the fact that he's shorter is going to make you really think lesser of him as his ability to succeed in the NFL when we've seen how good Russell Wilson and Drew Brees have been. It can't be thinking that. The only issue I see with him, and this is just something that takes time, At Oklahoma, it was a very read option heavy offense, a very college scheme offense. He did not play in a pro-style offense as other prospects may have or did, like, you know, Darnold and Rosen. They played in pro-style offenses. Baker Mayfield didn't. So adjusting to that initial, you know, NFL-style scheme, NFL-style playbook and offense after playing a very heavy read option offense maybe takes some time. But with his ability to hit tight windows, make progressions, make reads, bounce off of his first option, create plays with his legs, I think he'll be just fine. I don't even think he would start right away for the New York Jets. I'd be stunned, you know, because I'm basically at this point assuming he's a lock to the New York Jets, and so are many others. Um, assuming he's drafted by the New York Jets, he's not going to start right away because they have Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater signed. By the end of the year, will he be starting? Absolutely. I'd be stunned if he's not. So if you really need to work out the kinks with having him adjust to a pro-style offense, playbook style of play, game plan, whatever, go ahead and do that then. Baker Mayfield is an absolute stud. His personality and his passion he plays with should be celebrated. His ability to hit tight windows, his real true passing ability as opposed to being seen as just a guy who is good in quarterback because he's a dual threat. Watch the tape. You'll realize this guy is an NFL stud waiting to happen. He's a guy you can plug in there as your franchise quarterback for the next 10 years and you'd be totally satisfied with it. Baker Mayfield, number two quarterback on my board. Um, Almost in my mind, he's a lock to go to the New York Jets at number three, and I think he's going to, depending on what the Jets do around him, has the ability, if he's surrounded with actual competent talent, to significantly thrive in the NFL. Now let's move on to my personal number one quarterback in this draft. Someone who I think would be perfect 
for the Cleveland Browns or the New York Giants. Won't go there, but he would be anyway. And that's Josh Rosen from UCLA. Josh Rosen is the most, in addition to me having him as the number one quarterback on my board, he's really the most interesting all-around, perhaps, no, to me he is, the most interesting all-around prospect. He's a guy who is very smart, you know, majored in economics. He speaks his mind on the NCAA and social issues. He wants to know in-depth information about things. He always wants to know the why around decision-making and why things were done, a very economical perspective on acquiring information and making informed decisions. A guy who thinks everything through is an incredible football IQ. A guy who knows everything that is possibly going to happen or can happen on the football field. A guy who is a pro-style, pro-ready quarterback who, in my mind, is the best pure passer in in this draft. He's a guy who is a steady pocket presence. In the NFL, when you want to succeed, you need a steady pocket presence quarterback. Josh or Josh Rosen is exactly that. Completes over 60% of his passes, throws a ton of touchdowns, has a good QB rating, a true leader. Well, at least I would think he is, and we'll get more into that in a second, but I look at Josh Rosen, I see Eli Manning. You know, the tall Kind of skinny, not really mobile at all. Quarterback who's just really, really steady in the pocket, can make the big plays, can lead his team. A guy who's really smart on the football field. The only thing, all right, here we'll get into the, let's get into the, the arguments against Josh Rosen. The argument that he has off the field issues, it's a bunch of crap. The fact that he has a brain. And intelligence and likes to speak his mind as opposed to being a robot. That's an off the field issue. Come on. Or, or this is the argument that's incredibly stupid to me. The argument that since he's well off and smart, that he may not be committed to football and because he may not need it. This guy has been playing football his entire life. Loves the game, played it in college, played it his whole life. If he didn't need it and has been playing it to this point to be in the freaking NFL, why would he give it up? Because he's smart. Are you serious? We're going to take the argument just because the guy has a college degree and a competitive major and has money with his family? He's not committed to football? Or, you know, the fact that he put a hot tub in his dorm room. Great. He's an 18, 19, 20-year-old college kid who makes a dumb decision. I've, I did that. I'm doing it still. Come on. Like, these are not off-the-field concerns. These are making a bigger deal out of things that are non-issues. A, an athlete is more than an athlete at this point. An athlete is a role model. An athlete is a societal force. An athlete should be speaking on social issues if they feel compelled to should be expressing their opinion on the total awful organization that the NCA is. It's just horrific. And he knows it and realizes it. And for saying that, he gets made it into he gets made into an off-field issue character concerns guy. The only thing that I was sort of a little weirded out by was when Jim Mora, who was his college coach at UCLA, said he would rather have, if he was an NFL team or was advising NFL teams, would have them or tell them to pick Sam Darnold instead of his quarterback, Josh Rosen. 
which is a little weird, you know, if your coach was saying that about you. We've also seen analysts make it out to be a bad thing that he always wants to have a why behind things and why they're doing this and why they're doing that. Why is it an issue? No, oh, I'm saying why now. Why is it an issue if your quarterback wants to get the most detailed, most thorough amount of information he possibly can to make informed decision making? Doesn't that help everyone else as a whole? Is that not what we're seeing in all of sports now where teams compile significant data and analysts with all different backgrounds to make decisions or to compile data and analytics to make informed decisions to better the team and the players on it and make the coaches more aware of how to succeed? There has to be a why behind everything. If we're not asking why, we're staying in the past. And I know the NFL loves to stay with the old guard minds and refuses to accept new age thinking, but that's a bunch of crap too. Josh Rosen has poise. He has passing ability of any type of throw you could possibly want. Tight window, got it. Deep throw, got it. Short throw, got it. Down down the sideline, tight window, over the shoulder, got it. He can make all those throws. He's stable and heady in the proc in the pocket. You need look at look at guys in the NFL who are top-notch quarterbacks, right? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. They are significantly steady, stable pocket presences. Josh Rosen is a significantly stable, steady, steady pocket presence. Sure, he's not that mobile. Sure, he's not a guy who's going to do anything with his legs. And you would like to have that. But is that going to be a deterrent from being a fantastic quarterback? No, there's plenty of quarterbacks who don't can't do it with their legs. When he played at UCLA, his teammates loved to play with him. They never complained about him. The media made it out to be that they had an issue with him because of his off-the-field concerns that really don't even exist and are just made out to be concerns when they're really not. Josh Rosen is a pro-style quarterback who played in a pro-style offense who could provide the most seamless transition to the NFL of any of these four quarterbacks. He could step in immediately and thrive. I have said all along that he is the perfect pick for the New York Giants, but as we mentioned earlier, or as I mentioned earlier, you know, it appears that, you know, it's very unlikely that they will pick him. The crazy thing to me, actually, no, I'll get back to that in a second. There is one other thing that concerned me, and that was outside of Jim Moore, and that's the injury issues. You know, how durable is he? How strong is he? He has had two concussions. He had a shoulder injury. So this is a guy who has gotten hurt before. Sure, we don't sure there's different contexts for each injury, but it's a guy who's had three notable injuries on his report already. You don't want to have a guy who could potentially be susceptible to being hurt at a frequent level in the NFL as your long-term franchise guy. You just don't. But again, are we really I'm not blaming those three injuries and labeling him as injury prone. If he gets hurt in the NFL again, then maybe you can do that. But again, I see him as the top overall quarterback prospect. And the crazy thing to me, as I was going to say, it's clear that this guy is the top overall quarterback prospect. If he didn't speak his mind and was a robot, people would be going crazy about him and saying, why in the world is Cleveland not picking him over Sam Darnold? Why in the world are the New York Giants thinking of passing on him to pick a running back or to trade down to get depth in picks? None of those things are going to happen. And the thing is, he's going to be the fourth quarterback taken in this draft. More likely than not. Which is ridiculous that Josh Allen is going to potentially be selected above him. I actually think he will. 
if we look at the situation where we would go Darnold, Barkley, Mayfield, Chubb, trade up for Allen, we're looking at Rosen's earliest spot being six. And if the Colts don't trade down from that spot and stay there and pick Raquan Smith or Quentin Nelson or whoever, trade to someone else, whatever it may be, he could slide until maybe a team like Miami, who's at 11, could move up a couple spots into like, you know, eight or something. That's ridiculous. We're going to look at this in four years and see Josh Rosen having fallen out of the top five at the earliest being picked six, maybe even making it to 10 or so when he is the best quarterback that's going to come out of these four teams or out of these four guys in this class. As far as landing spots for him, I think if Buffalo has their way, they would trade up for Josh Allen. Which, again, is going to suck when they give up all that draft capital and he flames out. And ne- actually, not flames out. He's never going to be anything to have the ability to flame out from. Maybe a team, you know, maybe Miami trades up for him and picks him. Maybe Arizona pick, uh, trades up and gets him. Maybe he falls to Miami at 11. Who knows? But there is one team who has, sig- who has shown significant interest in Josh Rosen. And if he ended up on this team with the caliber of a prospect he is, with this team's ability to succeed and to find a way to make things work in any situation, in four years from now, the entire league would be looking around at themselves saying, what in the world was wrong with this? Just as they will be with Josh Allen being picked high. And that's the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots, they hold 23rd pick, 31st pick in the first round. They hold two second round picks. They're sitting there at 23. I don't think Lamar Jackson, in assuming that Josh Rosen gets picked you know, in the 6 to 11 range, I don't think Lamar Jackson makes it past Arizona. But if Lamar Jackson were to fall to 23, the Patriots would pick him. But that's besides the point. The point I'm making there with Lamar Jackson being available is the Patriots, and they've looked at guys in the second, third round like Nick Falk, or Luke Falk, oh my goodness, Luke Falk, Mason Rudolph, they are in the market to get the successor to Tom Brady, and they were in the market to get him in this draft. If Josh Rosen slips outside of, let's say, the top eight, a package of 23-31 and a second gets you Josh Rosen if he's around 9, 10, 11, 12 in the draft. Obviously, you know, looking at 9 and 10, San Francisco and... um. Oakland maybe would not be inclined to trade down. Maybe they would. But moving down from there for 23-31 a second, that's a comp, that's a satisfiable trade. That's a satisfactory trade offer. And if we allow, or we allow, if the NFL allows, you know, not the NFL allowing it, but directly through all these teams thinking what they do of the clear top quarterback prospect in this draft, Josh Rosen, for the New England Patriots to take advantage of this situation, to trade up, to get Josh Rosen, to get the best quarterback prospect in this draft, have him seamlessly slide in and succeed. Tom Brady, and they just keep firing on all cylinders, the entire league is going to live to regret it. That's a totally plausible scenario to to potentially happen. If I had to predict right now where I think Rosen ends up, I would say that he gets traded up for, a team trades up to six to select him. I think it's going to be, you know... I think it's going to be Arizona. I think Arizona is going to trade up to that six spot for Rosen. But if in the, in the event that the Patriots, who have shown 
they've shown interest in all these guys, but there's smoke. When there's smoke, which there is with Josh Rosen, there is fire. And the Patriots are highly interested in Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen is the best quarterback prospect in this draft. And if the Patriots somehow got him, Bill Belichick wins again. But the point overall here is Josh Rosen is the most pro ready, seamlessly transitionable quarterback of any of these four guys. He's the most steady presence in the pocket. He's the best pure passer in this draft. He's the smartest of all of these guys. He has incredible intelligence. He's able to understand what's happening around him quickly and process it quick, makes quick progressions and reads off of his first, second, third options. Sure, he has a little bit, he has injury concerns based off of the past where he's gotten two concussions and a shoulder injury. But other than that, I'm putting no stock into a guy speaking his mind. I'm putting no stock into analysts flaming up that he's off-field issues when he doesn't. Josh Rosen is the all-around best quarterback prospect in this draft. Should be going, at worst, to number two to the New York Giants, who are going to be foolish for passing on him because he's the perfect quarterback prospect for them at this stage. This guy is, has it all. He has everything you could want in a quarterback prospect. And I would be saying the same thing about Sam Darnold if he did not have the interception issues or the fumble issues or turnover issues. Josh Rosen is going to be the fourth quarterback selected in this draft and is going to be the best of all four of them. Simple as that. And I'm very, very excited to see how this draft pans out as far as where these four quarterbacks get picked, what the Giants do, where Buffalo trades up to, where Raquan Smith gets picked. You know, where Quentin Nelson and uh, Quentin Nelson eventually falls to. If a team like the Patriots or the Chargers decide to get their successor to Phillip Rivers or Tom Brady and move up to get their quarterback, as the Giants should do, but probably won't, you know. Um, there's a lot that's going to happen in this draft. Looking at guys who I look at as mid-round to late guys who I think are going to be highly successful or could potentially be good value picks in the first round. Leighton Van Der Esch, from Boise State, I think is a beast. There's been a little bit of reports that have been saying the teams are scared off by him and his injury concerned. He only played a single-digit amount of games last year. This guy is a great all-around linebacker prospect. Uh, Darius Juice from LSU. The Eagles have shown significant interest in him, but there's been a lot of buzz with him going to the Redskins at 13. I think he is going to be a very good running back. Further showing why as good as Saquon Barkley is, it is not worth picking him second overall or in the top tier of the draft with the quarterbacks and other prospects that are there. But that's besides the point. I look at Lane Van Der Esch, Darius Juice, I think Joshua Jackson from Iowa. I don't see him getting out of the top 15 to 16 or 17 picks in this draft. He's going to be great. Minka Fitzpatrick you know, was a guy who we looked at as a top 5, top 10 pick early on in the draft process. Now probably a mid-round guy. I look at him, the Green Bay Packers sitting there around 14 would be perfect as a landing spot for him with his ability to play corner and play safety, probably more safety at NFL level. Um, Frank Ragnow, there's been a ton of buzz around him in the last few days. He's going to be a first-round pick. And if we look at the Cincinnati Bagels last year, they ended up picking Josh or John Ross, who they worked out on the last possible day you could work out prospects. They did the same thing with Frank Ragnow. So... There's smoke, there's fire with the Cincinnati Bengals and Frank Ragnow. Or Frank Ragnow. Um, Justin Sweet, or Justin Sweat, excuse me, uh, the edge rusher from Oklahoma. Um, he's a guy who's going to get into there at the end of the first round. And, you know, seeing where Lamar Jackson ultimately ends up, assuming that Arizona does not trade up for Rosen, he would be their pick 
Um, no, they're at 14 and the Packers are at 15, excuse me. Um, or maybe the other way around. I'm sorry there. But the point is, Lamar Jackson, you know, at worst is the Patriots at 23. Best case there with Arizona. I could see the Chargers picking him to be the successor to Phillip Rivers. Uh, I'm not high on Mason Rudolph at all, but I think that there is a possibility he could get picked in the first round. I think the Patriots with their second first round pick, maybe at 31, could be a realistic option. You know, maybe a team... Let's say Miami doesn't end up with a quarterback and they decide that they want, or the Giants want to actually get a quarterback. Maybe they'll trade up into the late first to try to get Rudolph before the Patriots' second first round pick at 31 overall. I'm not crazy about Mason Rudolph. I don't really see any pro prospects for him. I don't see him being anything more than a high quality backup, but it's a possibility. The point being, there's a ton of moving parts in this draft. You have those top four QBs, you have a lot of top, or you have a lot of possibilities for trades, you have high quality players. For a good while in this first round. And it's going to be a fun draft to watch. And you should not be watching it. Let me get into a quick plug here. Next Thursday, don't watch on ESPN. Don't watch on NFL Network. You can watch me, Brad Clear, who you've just listened to for the last about 50 minutes to an hour. You can listen to me um, at one-on-one sports, spelled out the word one, the word on, the word one sports on YouTube. That is the name of the YouTube channel, one-on-one sports. There will be a live YouTube broadcast where I will be the lead analyst um, dissecting and analyzing the first round as it comes along in the role of someone from ESPN like Mel Kuyper, what John Gruden once was. I'm going to be up there having a great time, basically talking about all these things as they happen in real time, as I've been talking about for the last 50 minutes or so. Um, I would love for you all to view that if you're listening to this before Thursday again. You go to one-on-one sports, the word one, the word on, the word one, all spelled out, sports, on YouTube, and there will be a live video there starting at 7 p.m. with an hour-long pre-show, and then the actual draft, you know, starting at 8, for the entirety of the first round. And that's about it, you know, the NFL draft, it's super exciting, it's only a week away, I can't wait, I know you can't wait, especially after listening to this wonderful spiel I've been giving to you for the last... Uh, 55, 60 minutes. That's about all we have here for After the Final Whistle here on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington, or if you're listening after the fact on podcast.com. I am Brad Clear. As I just stated with the draft show and being next week, I will not be here to do the show next Thursday from 6 to 7. So I'm sorry about that. But thank you for listening along to the show today. Hope you enjoy the draft just as much as I will. Again, Brad Clear here for After the Final Whistle on WSOE 89.3 FM, Elon Burlington, or if you're listening after the fact on podcast.com. Shout out to the NFL Draft. Shout out to Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield. Shout out to you, the listener. And as always, goodbye and good night.